Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast, where I get to talk to our editors and reporters about the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is James Kleiman, the managing editor of our newsrooms, to talk about the biggest stories we covered this week across all of our brands. Before we dive in, though, here's a word from our sponsor. Why should you price your jumbo loans with PennyMac TPO? Is it the same great service you've come to expect with their conventional loans? Yes. Is it the competitive pricing they provide? Yes. Is it the fact that after closing, they don't sell off your borrowers so that you know they are in good hands? That would also be a yes. Get more information or price a jumbo AUS loan today at tpo.pennymac.com. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. All right, we are ready to go. James, welcome back to the podcast. It's Sarah, good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Always great to have you. Um, huge week of news. Over, since last time I talked to you, I mean, just uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Some of the things that are happening on the international level, and that is definitely affecting our uh, mortgage market. So, you know, I think the biggest news probably is mortgage rates. So let's talk about that first. Yeah, you know, we, we touched on this last week, Sarah, we, we talked a little bit about what the invasion of Ukraine uh, by Russia would, would do to the mortgage market due to the U.S. economy, you know, sort of the, the macro connection there. And, and it's really kind of played out as we expected, even though, you know, there, there's huge variability in a lot of those scenarios from last week, right? Like, I don't think there were a lot of projections that Russia would struggle so much to gain a foothold in this war against Ukraine. Um, but nevertheless, you know, for the intents and purposes of the U.S. mortgage market, things have largely played out as expected, which is there has been a drop in mortgage rates. So, the Freddie Mac PMMS comes out every Thursday morning, and last week it was 3.89% for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage on average. This is, I believe it is, uh, assuming 0.8 points are purchased by buyers. And this week, it dropped down to 3.76. So we're looking at about 13 basis points. Not huge. You know, it didn't drop 100 points. Nobody... Uh, nobody robbed the bank or anything like that, but uh, but it is it is certainly um, you know a, a number worth watching, and um, and I, I think it largely reflects larger global instability, and uh, and so you know for right now I, I think this is probably as good a scenario as you could expect for the mortgaging industry, given you know the other long term uh, serious issues that the U.S. government is is trying to deal with in terms of its economic. Um, output and, and so inflation is is still the the word du jour um, and uh, and and we're going to really see what happens now long term because you know inflation uh, brought on by the conflict primarily via oil prices is going to cause mortgage rates to rise um, and we know that uh, Jerome Powell the head of the Fed I, I believe technically right now is is uh, his title is chair pro tempore. Uh, but he's he's going to raise rates 
probably 25 basis points on the uh, on the 15th and 16th of March. So, you know, for right now, this is um, as, as good a period as you could expect, given the larger circumstances, but um, it, it won't last forever. Interesting because um, so last week and continuing from last week, our, our most popular story on the site on housingmar.com has been Ukraine conflict could lead to lower mortgage rates in the short term, which was written yeah. by uh, Georgia Cromry. And and sure enough, that's exactly what has happened. And, you know, she made the point on the podcast yesterday that that's really it's you have these two opposing forces. You have the inflation, which the Fed is trying to, um, you know, combat. And so they're they're raising rates. They're, they're trying to to you know, worry about that. At the same time, you have a flight to safety into the treasury, which is, you know, one of the reasons that mortgage rates are going down. So it's it's a really interesting macroeconomic background. Yeah, I mean, investors are going to flee to the safer options. And, and right now, that's U.S. Treasury notes, that's bonds, it's mortgage-backed securities. And, uh, you know, and the Federal Reserve was already trying to balance the efforts to slow inflation with without really kind of hampering the economy too much, uh, because, uh, you know, it is a really tight labor market. And, and so, you know, inflation is going to be exacerbated by the conflict, uh, especially given the sanctions. So, so yeah, I mean, the, these are oppositional forces and, um, and inflation in the end is, is going to be made worse by the war. It's, it's not going to improve because of it. So we're, we're really seeing just a, a relative calm, I think, before the storm. You know, we've got so we've got mortgage rates. And then this week, we saw for the first time the the confirmation, the official confirmation of what we all know, which is we are now officially in a purchase market. So, you know, tell us about the story about uh, the fact that, you know, this week, we had uh, refis dip below 50%. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been a long time coming. And I feel like I've, I've actually written a version of this story in my head for the last six months, you know, because so many people we talk to say, oh, yeah, you know, purchase is coming. The refis are over. You know, once, um, you know, the, during that month in which mortgage rates really shot up, you know, January through February, February through March, um, I, I think a lot of people just kind of spoke in absolute terms like refis are dead, you know, and, and it's entirely purchased. But, you know, the the reality is there's, there's kind of a long tail to a lot of uh, refi activity, but that that is definitively um, no longer the case. And, and you know, mortgage rates over 4% are, are going to do that. And so, you know, when you look at the Mortgage Bankers Association's report, I believe it came out on Wednesday, um, they found that although applications decreased, um, the, the corresponding uh, number for refis was down to, I want to say it was 49.9%. Uh, I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Um, and and that was down from 50.1% the week prior. So yeah, I mean, it's in, in absolute terms, of, you know, a pretty marginal difference between 50.1 and 49.9. Um, it could just be like 15 people in Atlanta, you know, got rate lock extensions by a week, right? So, <laughs> so I don't want to make too much of it. It's not, it's not like this is a sea change. This is really just sort of, you know, like a number that we, we typically um, maybe put a little bit more stock into than, than the average person. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, rate term refis are on the outs and mortgage lenders and LOs are going to have to adjust to a market that has really flipped very rapidly, you know, over the last, I'd say, four or five months, really, for, what, since like Christmas, I think there's been kind of a massive change in, in rates. And, um, you know, it's it's um, it's also a good opportunity for a lot of those lenders to kind of work with, you know, different types of products uh, or, or to shore up operations 
And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see who's going to focus really hard on, on generating as much purchase volume as possible and, um, and what they're going to do in terms of their operations. You know, we've already seen a lot of layoffs, a lot of the direct lenders in particular are just laying off huge segments of their workforce. And again, not a shock there. Right. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. And uh, I think you're probably going to see the refi percentage by the end of the year drop to, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but what, 35, 40%, you know, and of that 40%, I think you're not going to see many rate term uh, refis, but, you're going to see a lot more cash out. And um, and that also kind of skews a little bit more toward investor purchases too, right? So um, it's it's a very different market. And, and I think it's going to to be one in which, you know, you're going to really see who's good at this and, and who's just been able to, to kind of ride the wave of, you know, low rates and refis. Well, that is a perfect segue to uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of earnings seasons. And so we had uh, two big lenders this week. Uh, so so talk about what we're seeing as as far as what are people doing? What what are the you know, what are we seeing as far as earnings? So, yeah, I mean, in terms of earnings, we're, we're pretty much at the end of earnings call season. As you said, we had UWM, which is the I'm sorry for, for those who may not know, it's United Wholesale Mortgage. They are by far and away, the the largest wholesale lender in America. So they only work with brokers. Uh, They reported, I want to say on Tuesday, uh, their earnings for the full year of 2021, but also the fourth quarter. And, you know, the headline really, in my mind, is they actually did more in originations than they did in 2020, which is, I mean, kind of staggering if you think about just the demand um, that, that was in 2020. And, and so the fact that they were able to do even more business in 2021 is like really kind of staggering, kind of stupefying in a way. And so, you know, by, by that metric, like kudos to them, that's really, really impressive um, that they, they're able to, you know, meet that kind of capacity. And, um, and, and, you know, they, they also did it by doing a lot of purchase business too. You know, they, they weren't just churning out refis, um, in 2021. And in, in fact, purchase mortgages rose from, I believe it was 23.5% of their, their mix in 2020, all the way to 38.4% in 2021. And, and I haven't done the math yet. If that isn't the best among the major mortgage lenders out there, it's it's got to be top three, right? I mean, it's, it's a really, really impressive number. Having said all that, um, their profits were down in 2021, you know, and at the end of the day, this is, this is a business. <laughs> These are all businesses and, and, uh, you know, you can do one thing great and, and that's all well and good, but if you're not making money and your investors are not happy with you, you know, you have different conversations, you know, people don't want excuses, right? Especially investors who said, you know, we, we could have put our money anywhere else. We, we could have bought all that MBS, you know, instead we, we decided to put this in, into your stock and, and, you know, and, and thought that this would work out. And so, you know, UWM by that measure did not do as well. They certainly had a very respectable year in 2021. You know, their profits came in at 1.56 billion in 2021. That's really good. You know, I mean, heck, Sarah, if we had a business and we made 1.56 billion in profits, you know, we'd, we'd be throwing parties every we would, day. For weeks. James, we, we would, would be throwing a party right now. We, we, yeah, we'd have, we'd have <laughs> ragers every day. Uh, by coastal ragers, right? We, we'd be in 
multiple places having fun. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from UWM. They had a really good year. They had a really, really good year. Um, but there are certain parts of the business that are trending down. You know, their originations are starting to fall. Their margins really took took a, a pretty serious kick in the pants. Um, they, they dropped, you know, down to, I want to say it was like 80 basis points in the fourth quarter, which, you know, for UWM, that's acceptable because they can make money given their, their technology and their cost to originate alone being just much cheaper than really anybody else. Um, but 80 basis points ain't great. And if you look toward the first quarter, they're projecting 33 to 44 billion in origination volume. And that's, again, that's a decline. And so UWM is facing really stiff competition in wholesale. Um, maybe they'll be able to grab a fair amount of market share because they are, they've demonstrated that they can be successful in a purchase environment, you know, and brokers so often say that they are, you know, much closer to their realtor partners than, than a lot of traditional retail and certainly direct lender, uh, you know, types with call centers, but it's not going to be an easy year for UWM. You know, they were able to, to make, you know, quite a bit of money in 2020, 2021. I think they'll probably be, they'll certainly be profitable in 2022, barring, you know, like a major catastrophe or a huge misreading of the market or, or, or some sort of event that, that is just, you know, kind of unforeseen, which as we know has happened. Right. Um, but I, I, I do think it's going to be a lot, a lot choppier. I think it really speaks to the fact that if they're having a hard time, uh, you know, on margins, imagine what other people are. And, and we know that the cost to originate is just, uh, I think it's over $9,000 now for every loan. So it's kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, we used to write a story on a regular basis, like the cost to originate is, you know, um, unbelievable. Or I can't remember what it was like. The, uh, the cost to originate just got ridiculous, and then every every month it would just be like even more. And it gets more ridiculous. Um, so- yeah, no. I, I mean, it's it's incredible to think. I we're given the economic situation for a lot of the lenders. You know, you look at the earnings reports, and and they're generally indicative of what the other you know four thousand or so mortgage lenders in America are, are experiencing right now. And so, you know, everybody's going to be dealing with lower margins, right? Like, like there's no, you know, swell of demand that is only going to benefit like one little credit union in Tennessee or something, right? Like everybody's in the same boat. Um, but you have this, this industry that has been built up for, you know, what, 4 trillion in, in originations and we're going to hit like what, two, five, maybe, you know, give or take it. It's simple math, right? Like they're going to have to cut a ton of people to get that cost to originate down so they can actually make money on these things because it's still a super competitive landscape, more competitive than it was when we wrote that, oh my God, these are such ridiculous costs to originate alone. Like where is all this pork? Like what, what is, you know, it it is almost like, like pork in a, you know, in in a, how these, these ugly bills in Washington end up getting done, right? Like it's just, there's just so much in the center, so many middlemen, so many, components of an operation that are, you know, not directly related to running mortgage businesses. So, yeah, I I mean, I think we're also going to see how much appetite a lot of the big banks have for mortgage lending in 2022. We already saw Santander, which was like admittedly kind of a bit player in the mortgage market. You know, I think they only did like one and a half billion in in, um, volume in like 2019, right? Like even before the pandemic, or maybe it was 2020. I, I don't recall which, but, you know, by no means are they like Wells Fargo. They're not a chase. You know, they're, they're not they're not a big player, but they are a depository bank. 
and they took a hard look at their balance sheet and they said, you know what? It just isn't worth it. Like we can make money in investment banking. We can make money on commercial. We can make money, you know, in, in, in so many different ways. And there are so many regulations and so many issues related yeah. to trying to make money as a big bank retail shop that cost often just isn't worth it. I don't think well, that JP Morgan is going to stop doing, you know, you know, mortgage originations. I, I don't want to, to misspeak here. Um, but are they going to be as gung-ho? Because the easy money is not going to be there like it was in 2020 and 2021. And those are years in which, you know, they, well, in 2020, at least, like they reduced their, their loan packages, you know, like they, they put much stricter requirements for a lot of potential borrowers, HELOCs vanished, right? Like there are a lot of loans that they, in other markets probably would have done, but they no longer do. And um, I, I just don't see mortgage banking being as, as big uh, for the banks um, anymore. Well, and I mean, we've seen this before, right? That's why we had the rise of the non-banks. I mean, yeah. after the financial crisis, the, the big banks were like, wow, this is way more trouble than it's worth. Um, they just weren't, you know, making a lot of money. The, the regulations were just incredible. So, I mean, that's why we had the rise of the non-banks. So it's going to be interesting to see over the next year, two years, uh, what that looks like. We do have, um, we just uh, got earnings yesterday from uh, Finance of America. So, you know, that that's a that is a lender who is really looking to diversify and and has has their sights on maybe some other things besides just, you know, what we think of mortgage lending. So so tell me a little bit about that one. So this is a this is a weird one. You know, I've I've been working in mortgage and real estate uh, journalism for quite a few years now and I, I came across their press release last night um and and I, I had to squint and I had to call a few people up to say like is this right am I reading this correctly am I am I totally uh losing it here uh, but I saw this massive number jump out at me and um finance of America basically reported that because and, and this gets complicated and I, I don't really want to spend too much time getting into the nitty-gritty of what is essentially um you know uh, accounting and um tax shielding methods uh, because it's really not super pertinent to its operational uh, capacities or, or what they're doing as a business, right? Like this, this is uh, not related to that. So they did declare that they had a $1.7 billion loss in 2021, which is like, what, how is that even possible? You know? And, um, and so I'll explain very briefly, but essentially they had a, uh, what they call a, uh, an impairment of goodwill and intangible assets, which is essentially that, um, the value of the company is not nearly what it was when it was, uh, you know, when it went public. And so they can only shield so much from, you know, what is taxable. And um, again, it gets pretty, pretty technical, but basically the stock debuted at like $10 a share as a SPAC in April, early April of uh, last year. And today it's valued at something like under 200 million the market cap at least, and the stock is down to $3 and change. So, you know, again, we've also talked about how SPACs have not been very kind to the investors. And um, I don't think you're going to see many of them going forward, uh, despite what those who have uh, stock in better.com may think. Um, it, it does not <laughs> seem to have, uh, you know, much, much staying power in the market at least. So um, anyway, so they, they post this huge loss and it looks really ugly on paper. Um, but, the more interesting thing about Finance of America is they've 
essentially told their investors, hey, we know that forward traditional origination is not looking great. We do not expect to be doing a lot of business in, you know, kind of the traditional forward um, origination segment, but we have all of these other specialty finance and services products like reverse mortgages and investor loans and commercial loans. They have a home improvement business. You know, they have a lot of other ways of making money. And, and they believe that these, these are really going to be um, making the lion's share of revenue in 2022. Uh, and, and after having said all of that, the, uh, the stock has been ticking up a little bit. So maybe investors feel like that's a pretty good strategy. Uh, but, you know, FOA is, is, uh, is going to be battling, you know, a lot of the same demons that the other mortgage lenders are, which is, okay, we know originations are down, like, and our costs are still fairly significant. What do we do to keep costs down? And, and how do we diversify our product offerings, you know, knowing that we have a lot of competition if we just want to try to do purchase mortgages? So they're saying, we're going to look at home improvement. We're going to look at commercial. We're going to look at, you know, reverse. Reverse, actually, they had a really good quarter for in that segment. So, you know, they, they have other ways to make money. But, um, yeah, they, they have a lot of challenges ahead, and, and they have to replace uh, a CEO as well. You know, and so so Patty Cook is, is bowing out. She's been in the industry for quite a long time. It's got to be like 40-something years, right? Like, she's she's been around for a while. So uh, they, they've got big challenges ahead. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting company despite the, um, the, the headwinds that the stock is dealing with. You know, they, they are an interesting company. We're actually going to have a profile of Patty in our, um, April magazine, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, and I think the thing about them to your point is that they really, they saw it maybe earlier than other people where it's like, listen, we're not putting all our eggs in, in this one basket. I, one of the things that's always stood out about them to me is just their product mix. They're definitely, they're willing to go out and, and figure out how to, how to make a product that, you know, loan products that people can, can use. So I think that's, that's a huge advantage coming into this kind of thing. And I think I'm really interested to see how that home improvement goes. And we know, so, so you have all those people who refied who are now in their homes. I mean, why, why would they leave, right? They don't have the incentive. We have longer tenure in housing. So what does that mean? People are going to want to fix up their homes, I think, right? Um, yeah. And, and they can't take out HELOCs in a lot of cases. You know, I mean, there are some lenders, of course, who do HELOCs. They probably don't want to refi, right? Like they don't want a new mortgage. Uh, I assume they don't want a second lien on the house if they can help it, right? Like let's say the economy does tank and then they're they're looking at like some pretty ugly costs if the home improvement doesn't, you know, fully fully work. But yeah, I mean it's it's a loan that that you can see a lot of demand for, right? It's I would definitely consider it. I have I have a house in Pennsylvania. It's uh, you know, it's like a four bedroom, two bath. It's not it's not very modern. It's not very updated, but I don't have like a spare 50 grand lying around to, you know, to fix up the kitchen or to add new uh, new windows, which would be a huge help on my electric bill. And so a product like a, a home improvement loan at a pretty good rate, you know, that doesn't have to attach onto my mortgage would, would certainly be something I would consider. And, and there are just so many people who, you know, if they didn't move in 2020, they didn't move in 2021. You think they're going to move in 2022? Where are they going yeah, to Yeah, right. In out? this market? <laughs> what are they going to find if they do sell, right? It's, yeah, I, I think this is a pretty smart plan. I expect a lot of other lenders to start 
developing products like this. They, they have to diversify. There are too many people with too much equity that aren't going anywhere, and they're never going to refi again if they got a 2.74% right. mortgage rate in 2020 or 2021. So how else are you going to make money from them? You know, this is this the next step. This to me is, is really the um, next five, six years challenge for our industry is that, yeah, we had that great refi boom. Now you've really locked people in. There's not a ton of new housing stock coming on the market. We know that. So exactly where, you know, we have demand. We definitely have demand for the next couple of years, but uh, it's a challenge. So I think, I think going into those things, I think reverse is smart. You know, you and I have talked about this. I mean, reverse got a bad reputation, uh, but they've made huge changes to that product, right? From, from a governmental level, from a regulatory level. And to me, it's like, especially as you look at the amount of uh, home price appreciation that people have, now have, have gained in the last couple of years, like reverse just makes so much sense. Um, so I, I'm interested, I think Finance of America already having a really strong reverse presence. Obviously, that's one of their biggest sets. That's going to be interesting. I'm going to be inter- interested to see who else gets into that in the next couple of years. Well, it's interesting um, because it, a big company just exited that space, right? Like home right. Point, home point, you know, they, they've had pretty well documented struggles with, uh, with, with, you know, needing operational capital. And so they've sold off parts of the business. And one of the parts was, you know, they, they sold off their stake in Longbridge. And, um, you know, that's, that, that was basically a, you know, a reliable source of a reverse mortgage revenue coming in. And they, they decided that they just want to focus, you know, primarily on, you know, their, their kind of core originations business and, and some of the servicing that they have retained. But yeah, I, I mean, there's a big silver wave, you know, think about how many people are aging into this kind of reverse space as well. It's, I think what, there are people in Gen X now who can get a reverse mortgage if they want, right? Yeah, that's right. There, there is a product now that goes down even to like a 55. So that's a, that's, that's me (laughs) not looking to do that yet, but we are, we're, you know, I definitely think there's just so much opportunity. It'll just be interesting to see how, how our lenders, how the lenders that we cover are going to be, you know, dealing with the fact that the the price to originate keeps going up, the cost to originate, and then, um, you know, but but they've they've got some other challenges. I do think one thing that that I was reading yesterday uh, for a completely separate product, I was I was researching some stuff for a white paper and and came across the um, the statistic that just businesses in general and in a normal company, whatever at a, at the enterprise level. They have over 300 SaaS products that applications that uh, people in the company are using, and I think about the promise of technology was supposed to be way back when that it was going to bring down the cost to originate, and I think it does. I mean, I think there's a lot of efficiencies there, but first of all, you have to be able to afford some of those enterprise products. They're they're not cheap, right? To to do that, but also you wonder about uh, at what point is it mission creep? You just have a whole bunch of those things you're paying for. And and we're still looking for that end to end. It's going to solve all your problems kind yeah. of technology. But um, I just think it's interesting to look at that and say, it's surprising to me that it's still so expensive to originate a loan. Yeah, I mean, most of that is still in personnel costs. It, it's just the reality is they have way too many people at, at these companies who are putting their hands in the cookie jar, and you know, and and that's also reflective of a cyclical business that is now shedding a lot of capacity. So I, I do think it's going to come down in terms of the technology issue. It's, it's funny when I did my own mortgage, I was 
very pleasantly surprised at how easy it was from my perspective as the consumer. You know, it was drag and drop. I had a relatively easy window into the process. You know, I could kind of see where things were going. And um, and that was well and good. But then I talked to my LO on the other side. And I'm like, okay, well, for you, what, what does this look like? Like, I can see what it looks like for me when I drag and drop and everything is simple. And he's like, it, it's like, you know, you, you have a machete in the jungle. You know, he's like... He's trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to triangulate, you know, the, the processor and the underwriter, making sure that this component is right, and then making sure that the real estate agent also understands that this part of the, the mortgage was correct, and then, you know, and it's just it's just a kind of a kind of a mess. Um, and so that, from what I can understand, uh, based on conversations I have with LOs pretty frequently, hasn't changed that much. And there are also there are still, honest to God, big mortgage companies out there that still do business. With pen and paper. Insane. Absolutely insane. We don't do this. It, and we are a small media company. Right. What, like 50 something people, you know? And so to think that there's, you know, one, one of the largest lenders in America is is so far behind the eight ball, you know, it's like Flintstone stuff, you know, it's crazy. I, I do think we just have an interesting perspective because the, the companies we talk to, whether they're our sponsors, our advertisers, the ones we're reporting on are, are sort of the cutting edge of this. And then we also talk to a ton of tech companies. So we know what's out there, yeah. you know, whether, whether it's affordable to people, whether they can access it is a different, a different thing, but like, we know what the potential is. And so I just assumed that we were much farther along than we are. My, I've bought two houses. Um, uh, no, I bought and sold a house during the pandemic. And uh, in both of those cases, it was a very, pen and paper type of process. Mm. So I, I did not have your, so even on my end, it was pretty archaic. I was like, wow, really? Um, but it's funny, so, like you, you start, you talk to somebody who works at a much more tech centric kind of mortgage lender. And, and, you know, you, you understand that there are still going to be some pain points that are sort of just natural because it is by nature, a highly regulated and, and very bureaucratic process, right? Like it, no matter how well rocket, or UWM or, or some, you know, Loan Depot or any of the others can do, like, it is still just a lot of paperwork. It is still a lot of check the box, check the box. And if that product is being sold to Fannie or Freddie, or God forbid, you know, it ends up being a Ginnie Mae security or a VA or whatever, right? Like, there's just a lot of paperwork. So in, in that respect, it makes sense that, yes, it's better, but it will probably never be lickety split, easy peasy. But you talk to like, a bank branch manager in any town USA. And, and it's like, do, do you even live in the 21st century? It's, it's like, they're like Luddites in some cases, you know, like you want me to fax you? Like, right. what? I, I don't even, I don't even know where I'd find a fax machine. It's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, we just, uh, we released the Tech 100 Award uh, award winners this week, which we do 100 for mortgage and 100 for real estate. And that's why, I mean, I think we're just biased towards seeing, like, what is possible. We, I mean, it's it's hard to sort through the hundreds, hundreds of entries we get to get down to 100 of the most innovative tech companies for both mortgage and real estate. So, I mean, there's a ton of stuff out there. People are not availing themselves. It is expensive, is what though. I would you say. Know, there's a reason that they don't upgrade. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, one of the things that we find is that, you know, a company has done all the hard work, they've invested, they've done all that, and then they allow their frontline people to choose not to use that technology, which is always it happens a lot of real estate brokerage as well. Yeah. 
you know, you have people who, who have been in this business for 40 years and they're like, you know what, I, I'm comfortable with my method. It works for me. And, you know, in a lot of cases, they're independent contractors and they go, I, I just, it's nice that you have this. That's cool. That's great. I don't want to use it, you know? Yeah. So. So, so there is that that we're finding too. Um, we're almost out of time. Uh, just looking ahead, what are some of the stories that you're looking forward to seeing um, that your reporters are working on? Well, we have uh, we have a piece on Compass that will be live uh, today. It is it is all through their 10K, which is many pages and uh, has quite a few statements in it that I think <laughs> our real estate um, agent audience is going to find uh, of interest. So we, we did sort of a, here are five major takeaways from what's going on with, with Compass. And, and uh, just very briefly, you know, we, we talked a little bit about litigation and, and Compass has, 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 one, both been a litigious company and two, been sued by quite a number of uh, rivals and former uh, business partners. And, and so uh, just to, to give everybody a small taste of, of what's in there, um, Avi Dorfman, he was a co-founder although that was disputed, uh, along with Robert Rufkin, of course, and Ori Allen, who is a, a former tech executive. You know, these were the three people that, that are, are um, you know, basically the co-founders of the company. And Compass ended up settling uh, this with uh, Avi Dorfman, I want to say in, in October, November, or, the, or the, the settlement at least became known at that time. And so Compass in its 10K finally broke out how much they paid him. And, and Avi was, he was seeking like, man, I don't remember how much it was offhand, but he was seeking like $300 million or something in this lawsuit, um, you know, to, to be basically acknowledged as a co-founder, someone who was critical to, uh, you know, the, the formation of the business. And um, he ended up in the end getting about $21.3 million, uh, which, I mean, hey, to not really have to build the company to just, this is really a technology focused uh, brokerage and then let Robert and Ori and, you know, everyone who came after um, do all the work. I mean, that's, that's pretty good. That's not bad. I would take that. I would take a $21 million payday for coming up with an idea and saying, <laughs> okay, your turn. And, uh, and then, you know, seeing what happens next. Uh, we also talk about agent productivity, you know, Compass is, uh, is very loud about how, accomplished their agents are, how prolific the agents are. And, and so we took a look at, at whether that really seems to be the case. We also took a look at their mortgage joint venture. For those uh, with good memories, they uh, formed a joint venture with uh, Guaranteed Rate, who has formed JVs with, I think, almost every single real estate brokerage out there at this point. You know, it's crazy. But but yeah, so they, they have a, a JV. It's a, it's a lender known as Origin Point. And, you know, Compass, we found out reading through the 10K, has invested about $3.7 million in this company, for which it owns 49.9%. So uh, that is interesting. And, and we'll see, you know, if, if they were uh, kind of late to the JV craze as well with uh, with real estate brokerages. Uh, so that's, that's also of note. And, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of other good stuff coming uh, over the next week or two. So I, I would encourage everyone to, to check back and, and check back often. Absolutely. Um, the, the headline, I love the headline on that Compass story. It's, we read Compass's 10K, so you don't have to. <laughs> it's really long. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a huge... It hours. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge undertaking. And and truly, I mean, there's there's gold in there. I mean, those 10K statements are have lots of things. So 
encourage people to look for that. And then also check back. We have so much news going on, you know, every day. So James doing a great job um, across our global newsrooms and uh, just great to have you on. Thanks. Great to be with you, Sarah. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwire.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.